Welcome to Vision of Zion. This is episode number 25. And I'm on the phone again with Sean White. You might recall that the last two episodes dealt with Sean White and his near-death experience. How are you doing, Sean? Great. Thank you. Thanks for coming back for a third installment. We have had uh, a number of inquiries and uh, people who wanted to know more about your experience. So what we'd like to do is start off with a little bit of maybe finishing touches on your near-death experience, the one that you had when you were 14 or 15 years old. And then maybe we can kind of move into a question and answer session based on some of the questions that have been raised, okay? Sounds great. All right. So let me just check my notes here. Uh, one of the things you said last time that I wished that you could expound upon now was mentioning that after you had this uh, near-death experience where the Savior spoke to you and took you on a guided tour of some events, you mentioned that some of those things began to close up or you forgot them. Could you uh, talk more about that? Yes, in those final scenes with the Savior as I begged to come back to earth, he said that I would forget many things that he had shown me because it would be kind of like too much for me. But as time went on, that he would open those up to me and help me prepare for the days ahead by showing me these scenes and things that we had talked about. And so that kind of started opening up over the years, little by little with a few dreams and visions of places and things and meeting people that were like, Oh, wow. Yes. I've met, I know you, but then after about 2016, I had an experience and it began to more rapidly open up and expand so did you did you forget everything right off the bat when you first came back to your body or was it a slow process of forgetting or were some things just blacked out immediately some things were blacked out almost immediately there were some things that i held on almost like dear life to me and one of those was the challenges facing me in which i might think about facing suicide and how it'll affect my posterity and stuff. So I really gripped onto some of those things. There were a few things about my wife too, that were like, I just, <laughs> you know, maybe I should have let go of some things, but there's just things that I grasp onto with every fiber of my body to not let slip by. <laughs> okay. So obviously the purpose of this podcast is to talk about, what's coming up in the last days. Did the Savior or anybody else in your out-of-body experience show you things about the future? Yes, I was shown many, many things. And uh, just even this last summer, I was told months in advance to start praying and preparing myself that he was going to show me a lot more. And so I began over the series of about two months to start fasting and praying and preparing myself to see a certain time period ahead of us. And uh, boy, it was so much more than what I expected to see this summer. Um, so some of the things that you were uh, led to forget that the Savior, let's say, took from your memory as a 14 and 15 year old, 
some of those things were related to future events that you're now beginning to recall and have started to recall over a period of years? Yes. And I, and I am actually grateful that I didn't carry those with me because the burden of the things that I saw and what was going to happen ahead of us would have been almost too great because I'm the type of personality that when I see a problem, I want to fix it right now. And uh, it just would have been too much on my plate to try to constantly think about and sort through in my mind. Was there a particular moment in time when things really began to open up your recollection of these future events? Yes. Uh, I'd had just two or three dreams and visions that had opened up to me and I was like shocked and talking to my wife about them. But then all of a sudden I was really stressed about a business that we were starting on marriage retreats and the work that I was doing in weld inspection. And I was so confused. Like, I just can't do this anymore. I mean, I'm stretched so far. What do I focus on heavenly father? And I used to have an hour long ride to work each way in which, you know, at four 30 in the morning, I usually played uh, talk church talk or something for a half hour. And then I prayed for a half hour as I drove. And one particular morning, as I was pouring my heart out and things from the past, I'd always left the passenger seat open so that like the savior could sit with me and uh, from the passenger seat. So clearly there was a voice that said, I am that I am. And I was like, what? And, and I looked again and he said it again. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt from my experiences that that was the Savior telling me something. And I didn't quite know what it meant to me at the time, but I, I grew to know to let go and that he would guide me at that point in my life. And then, wow, was I in for a ride. <laughs> so what were some of the earliest recollections that you had about the future? Uh, one of the earliest ones I I had was uh, I woke up from a dream suddenly and I saw a period of time in which Salt Lake was kind of in trouble and there were burning homes after the earthquake and there were an invasion by a foreign army and my wife and I were in there at night uh, trying to get people to go with us to a safer place and we were having to hurry. Uh, in that particular one, this lady was sitting there with a baby in her arms, rocking it by a fire that she had made from her cabinets in the kitchen. And a toddler was wandering around the fire and she was struggling and just torn apart what she should do. And Carol and I were telling her, you need to come with us. You need to come right now. And we were trying to gain her confidence. And she was crying and saying, no, my husband's in that house that's fallen down around us and everything. And we've got to bury him. And I says, no, we don't have time. Let's get you to safety right now. And uh, I realized in that dream that I wasn't carrying a backpack or supplies with me or anything. And so it gave me a lot to think about at that point of how would I accomplish this? So this kind of reminds me of uh, Suzanne Freeman's out-of-body experience. And she describes being inserted into the scenes that were in the future as if she was like in the kitchen or helping someone who needed food to feed them. Is that the level at which you became immersed in the future was 
actually being in these situations rather than, let's say, up in the heavens looking down on the situation? Um, there are many scenes like that, but then uh, we'll talk about it a little later, but being on Enzyme Peak with the Savior and him telling me things from a peak and, and watching things play out before us um, was another way of seeing these things. And there's been a few other experiences like that where I sat atop something with the Savior and he would whisper things to me of what was going on as we watched it happening. Did you see anything happening or later did you see anything happening that preceded the earthquakes and turmoil going on in Salt Lake City, Utah? Yes. Um, I Well, I might mention before we start this, one of the triggering events that started to really speed things up for me was in September and uh, we had been at the the Pat Martin Harris pageant and the veil just opened up to me right there and I saw angels around this entire pageant and angels going in between whispering at their ancestors and giving them messages to the point that I couldn't even focus on the play and what was going on I was so intrigued by what these ancestors were doing and what they were whispering to people at this event. And from that time forward, everything just started to speed up for me and my learning and my questioning of scenes that were coming back to me and asking the savior, how am I involved or how is, how do I fit into this? And that's where we really got started off. And so uh, started, what what year was that? Uh, you said September. What year was that? September 2017, when that sign occurred in the sky of the woman giving birth. It was mm. about that time. That it was actually in August when that happened. But everything seemed. I could see that in the heavens as the play came out that night, or the pageant started, and I began to speculate and to pray about that constellation because it hadn't quite all completed yet. And that began <laughs> a whole series of events. I, I would like to come back to that, uh, the woman in the heavens, which is also discussed in Revelation chapter one, uh, chapter twelve, verse one, and then throughout that chapter, more reference to the woman. But that, that that's we'll just come back to that. So that's kind of when things began, and I'm assuming that these memories began to come back. Did they come back with more frequency or more rapidity? Yes. In fact, like one of the next experiences that I recorded in my journal was I had wake, woken up at night and I'd woken Carol and I was spelling C-A-R-I-A-N-S. And she was kind of shook me and like, why are you spelling this? And she wrote it down on paper to make sure she had it right. And I was just like shocked. I go, well, the Savior was standing with the Savior, and there was this marble uh, po podium like there, and this book with gold leaf pages. And he had turned to this page and was reading and asked me to spell it back to him C A R I A N S, which was carrions. And it took us three or four days to figure out what this word was. I'd never heard of it before. It turns out that it was a group of men before Christ came to the earth the first time. And this group of men changed warfare for a thousand years. 
in the way they held their swords, the way they held their shields, and the way they did things. And it turned out a small group of men could liberate people from large army or large oppression. And they opened up countries and places before the Savior came to where teaching could occur. Because in these areas uh, around Greece, if I remember right, and Turkey and so forth, they had leaders in there in which there would be no way that the apostles could have gone in there and taught and other things could have happened to where the people could accept Christ. And what I learned from this and praying and things was he was saying, I am preparing the Carians now for my second coming. I am right now awakening those that would help prepare the way for my second coming, which was shaking to me at the time. <laughs> so he's basically telling you that it only takes a small number of his warriors or his people um, who follow his will to make big changes in the world. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes. And how this force or this thing could, you know, like in the past change things for a thousand years with the ideas they had and what they could do. A thousand years is interesting because that's how long the millennium is going to last. <laughs> that's a good, good sign. Yeah. Uh, anything else that uh, that you want to discuss? Let's just say broadly right now about the future that began to unfold to you in September of 2017, or after that date. Well, I think the big purpose of why I feel like I should start to share this now is to help others to not discount the dreams and things that they've been given and to pray about them and have faith that those dreams and visions and promptings that you have could be promptings from the Savior to help you prepare and help you in a position where you could help others. And so that's really my hope is to try to help others find within themselves I keep saying that it's like a great big puzzle here at these last days, and each one of us is holding a puzzle piece, but we don't know where it goes or how it fits. And so we just hold this puzzle piece until it's the right time. And it's kind of like meeting you and Lisa uh, four or five years ago when we met, because we, we went to this conference Two day or several days ahead of time, I had two different dreams of you and Lisa, and I was it was so clear and it was so bright around you guys. At first, I thought you guys might be translated people or something. So when we're sitting in this conference and I look over my shoulder, and you guys are sitting there at the table across from us, and I'm I'm just going to Carol. Oh my gosh, there's the people in my dream. And I says, I don't know how to talk to them. I don't know what to say to them. <laughs> <laughs> I says, if they could be really translated. Would they talk to us? And uh, so we approached you guys at that first break. And I don't remember all the things we said, but it just kicked off into this amazing friendship. And like we'd been friends quickly over a long period of time. And so... I'm saying watch for those things in your life where you're prompted to be a friend to somebody else because you just never know how this will all work out or how you might work together. 
Well, I can promise you that we're not translated beings. <laughs> no way. But let me point something out at this interesting uh, chain of events. So that conference, we were invited by another friend, uh, a friend of my wife's. And it was a conference about, you know, professionals who helped people with psychology issues or, you know, mental health issues. Uh, and it didn't seem of particular interest to me, but my wife encouraged me to go. And I finally felt like, okay, I, I'm going to go to this. So this going to go and see what it's like. And yeah, that was the first session of the first day that you came over and said that I, I looked familiar and look what it's blossomed into. And then you've met the, you met the friend that inter introduced us. And then I've also introduced you to other friends and vice versa. So it is interesting how it's kind of a ripple effect just by following a prompting, you know, go up to that stranger, say something. And I was immediately interested in learning more about you. And as I mentioned last time, had my wife uh, track Carol down to, uh, you know, see if we could exchange phone numbers. And then it's led to a really wonderful uh, friendship that I agree has been accelerated by some kind of familiarity that you wouldn't get in such a short period of time. And and we also don't live in the same cities where we live uh, quite a bit uh, different distance but we've been able to get together and have good times and and uh, make uh, mutual acquaintances. Everybody's faith has been strengthened and benefited by uh, your prompting or your uh, dream to uh, to meet us. So that's really that's really cool. It's just so amazing throughout my life as I have seen these things and run on to people and it's kind of like a deja vu as some people would say as i meet somebody or i pass by a stone or something a big marker and this this wave comes over me and i'm like lifted out of my body for a minute or two and i remember standing there with the savior and seeing this and it's just such a warm feeling that i'm in the right place at the right time and that i'm not strayed too far from the path that i've still found my way back to the path so to speak so I, I have a, a comment and a, and a question for you. Uh, the comment I have is one of the other visionaries that I read when she saw the tribulations coming on the earth, which we want to talk about in the next segment. Uh, she said that uh, the angels were standing by ready to help us. And she she was so sad because nobody was praying for divine intervention or help. And they were at the ready to to help us. Now, the, what I want to go to next, and then my question is, the Savior says to ask and we'll receive, to knock and it'll be open unto us, and to seek and we would find. It, and my question is, is it really that open-ended, uh, these invitations from the Savior? They really are. In my experience in, uh, I believe it was 1986, when I accidentally ran a knife through my left hand all the way across cutting all eight tendons of my fingers through the palm of my hand. I was up on a mountain and um, with an uncle that wasn't very familiar with uh, four-wheeling and things like that. We were trying to fix a spring for my grandpa. And in that instance, as I spun around, I saw my uncle, Lynn, who'd passed away, who had been my guide in when I was 14, descending and I could hear him yelling for grandma to come because this was beyond his scope of 
of help. But as my uncle gave me a blessing in this instance and stuff, the pain went from my body and I was supported and uh, they helped me off the mountain and helped me get clear. But it was five and a half hours from that point of the accident until we were into the University of Utah emergency room. And so I'd gone that long without painkillers and without being able to move those fingers at all on the left hand. And the pain was getting so excruciating bad that I, at that point of, after they'd washed all this cut out and everything and still no painkillers, tears were just running down my eyes and I were going in the elevator and I just reached out. I said, heavenly father, I can't take this anymore. Please take this from me. And I saw that my great grandmother held my hand. Now, through the surgery and everything, I learned and saw the angels all around us. And a lot of times our ancestors were assigned to us because they knew us better than others. But they were limited in helping us because we wouldn't ask our Heavenly Father. Mm. Once we asked our Heavenly Father, then they could get permission to intervene. But, you know, this asking is just paramount. And I've got several other instances where I could see where I took one step forward and I asked why I didn't fall back. And they said, because you had two angels behind you, keeping you from falling backwards. And that's all you had to do was take one step forward and ask for help. And it's wow. just so amazing. All the help we have waiting for us if we ask. Well, Sean, what I'd like to do is my wife recommended we break these episodes down into maybe 20 minute segments. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a pause and we're going to take a break and then we're going to uh, talk about the next topic and put it up as a separate episode for people to listen to. This is Vision of Zion. We'll be back with the next episode shortly. <laughs> 